faithful question mark. If you see the sermon graphic, you, you read that and you're probably thinking, faithful question mark. Is that how I talk about this sermon series? We're going through the book of Nehemiah. We're calling it Faithful Question Mark. How do I invite my friends to to church? Yeah, we're going through the book of Nehemiah. Is this to be called Faithful with no question mark? Is that a mistake? Is it Faithful? Maybe. Well, how, how do I think about this sermon series? How do I think about this theme that we are throwing over the top of the book of Nehemiah? Well, it kind of summarized the application question that I want you to ask throughout. First of all, has God been faithful? And I want you to really deal with that in your own life. Has God been faithful to you? And then will you be faithful? Will you be a faithful servant to him. And so throughout this sermon series, I want you to go through the index cards of your life, review moments, circumstances, seasons in your life, and ask the question, has there ever been a time in your life when God was not faithful to you? I want you to ask that question. And some of you are going to struggle with that question because you're going to look back on your life in difficult times and suffering and seasons where you you were asking, where is God? But I want you to ask the question, during that time, was he faithful to you? And maybe through this sermon series, you can sort out what it means for God to be faithful to you. Maybe you're in that moment right now. And you will write in your journal, faithful, question mark. Because you don't know. Still trying to sort it out. But then I also want you to do through this sermon series to journal, to write down and reflect on all the times without a shadow of a doubt, circumstances, seasons in life when God was unmistakably faithful to you. And you can write that out and you can praise his name and you can give testimony and witness to his faithfulness in your life. I want you to deal with this issue of faithfulness. And I want you to ask the question, has God been faithful to me and will I be faithful to him in light of his faithfulness? How has God been faithful to you? Maybe he blessed you with kids that you prayed for. And you say, I'm going to be a faithful parent in light of his faithfulness. Maybe he blessed you with a job and we just heard about all the ways God is blessing us with resources around here and you commit to be faithful with the money and resources God has given you. Maybe he has blessed you with a a wonderful education and you're going to say, I'm going to be a faithful student. I'm going to be faithful in light of what God has done for me in this way. Has he been faithful and how will you be faithful? I want you to write these things out. I want you to journal these things. Because that is exactly what the book of Nehemiah is. It is Nehemiah's journal of God's faithfulness to his people. And he writes this story out for us. And it is a story of God's faithfulness that really began in 606 BC. And it was a moment where it didn't look like God was faithful. Nebuchadnezzar attacked Jerusalem. 
and leads the Jews into 70 years of exile and captivity. And the question is, is God being faithful to his people? When that moment, God was judging his people for idolatry. And he sent them away from Jerusalem, from away, away from the land, and they were under the rule of pagan kings during this time. This is where we get the stories of the book of Daniel and Jeremiah. But eventually, Cyrus and the Persians take over, and the Jews begin to return home. They begin to return back to their city. And we can summarize their return in three different waves. First of all, you have a man named Zerubbabel. And in 515 BC, he begins to rebuild the temple in Jerusalem that was destroyed. And then you have a former priest named Ezra. And during that time, he restores the people of God. And so Zerubbabel builds the temple, and then Ezra steps in, and he begins to teach the people of God, the community of God, the Word of God, restoring them to God. Temple restored, people being restored. And in our book, we have Nehemiah. Around 444 B.C., the walls of Jerusalem are still tore down. The temple is exposed. The people are insecure. And Nehemiah will rebuild the wall around the city. And he recounts this story to us like a diary. And it begins in verse 1 of chapter 1, the words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah. Now, we don't know much about Nehemiah. We don't know much about his family. Nehemiah's name means comforter, or the Lord will comfort. And Nehemiah, he wasn't a great leader among his people at this time. He wasn't a priest. He wasn't a prophet. He worked for the Persian government. He was a cupbearer for the king. He was just a Jewish man with a Persian job. He was a cupbearer. This meant that he tasted the king's wine and food and made sure it was safe for the king, Artaxerxes, to drink and eat. So he was really just a guy with a job. And he becomes a construction manager who rebuilds the wall around Jerusalem. And so what does it look like for just a guy with a job to be faithful to God in the face of difficulty? Well, first of all, we see that a faithful servant is first and foremost burdened for God's glory. And we see that as the text continues, the words of Nehemiah, now it happened in the month of Chislev, in the 20th year, as I was in Susa, the citadel. Now, this is over the winter months. This is where the Persian king would go. There was no fighting during this time. And so it's kind of like a vacation. And Nehemiah is with the king. And during this time, verse 2, that Hananiah, one of my brothers, came with certain men from Judah. And so Nehemiah's relatives, they come out to visit him in this fortified place, this, this winter retreat area with the Persian king. They come for a visit. And what's on Nehemiah's mind is his people, the Jews in Jerusalem. And so when his family shows up, he asked them concerning the Jews who escaped, who had survived the exile concerning Jerusalem. Seventy plus years they had prayed 
to return from exile, to return back to their city, to back to their land. And it happened. God had answered their prayer, and he began restoring the people of God to Jerusalem. And so Nehemiah, he's thinking, how is it going? How, it, how is the homeland? How are the folks back home? And probably expecting good news, they said to him, the remnant there in the province who had survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. It's not going well, Nehemiah. And what seemed to have happened is the temple had been built and the wall had begun to be restored around the city. And then the enemies of God began to attack again. And the wall was dilapidated again. And the people of God were exposed to their enemies. And they update Nehemiah on this. But notice the words here, great trouble. They are insecure. They're in danger and shame. And the word shame has to do with reputation. We're going to talk a lot about that through Nehemiah. The people of God are exposed to their enemies and they are at shame. All of their hope and all of their trust in Yahweh to protect them seems to be lost. Seems to be lost. And notice the wall in Jerusalem, it is broken down and the gates are destroyed. The people of God are insecure before the enemies of God. And this means God's faithfulness is at stake. Verse 4. This is why in verse 4, Nehemiah says to us, As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days. Hearing the news from his relatives. I mean, there, there was no Twitter. There's no... Fox News, CNN, how's things going back home? No updates. He's on edge listening to his relatives recount what is God doing back home? It's not going well. And in his mind, the the haunting imageries and stories of people being drugged from Jerusalem, drugged into captivity, drugged into exile, those things begin to replay in his mind, and he falls on his face, and he weeps, and he mourns. And we see here, for four months, he enters into a state of depression and prayer for what's happening in Jerusalem. Notice it says, I continued in fasting and praying before the God of heaven. And this happens for four months. He is burdened. He is weighed down. Why would he be so upset about something happening so far away? Why would he care about what's going on in Jerusalem? He has a cush job in Persia. He's taken care of. And you see, we're going to talk a lot about the wall around Jerusalem. And like any other wall, it provided protection. But this wall for the people of God symbolized God's promises to them. God had promised Israel, I will dwell with you forever in a place. My presence will be with you. My promises will be fulfilled to you when I am with you in a place. And Jerusalem is that place where the temple is. And so a secure people in Jerusalem is a sign God is fulfilling his promises. God is doing what he said. But an insecure people in Jerusalem means God's name is at stake. God, are you really being faithful to us? Faithful question mark? Are you really fulfilling your promises? 
the great I am, which means I will do what I say I will do. You have rescued us, you have delivered us, and you have made us promises. But now the walls are torn down. Will you keep your promises? And this is his burden. This drives him into depression and despair in sackcloth and ashes, fasting and praying. What we see here is faithful servants, those who will be faithful, are first and foremost burdened for God's glory. Understand this. The book of Nehemiah is not about a building program. Some of you showed up today and you said, Nehemiah, we're about to build something around here. There's been a pile of rocks from VBS outside on the sidewalk. I guess we're about to start. It's a joke. I think they're gone now. But this isn't about a building program. It's not about a great leader. It's not about teamwork. It is about a faithful God. And the question is, will God be faithful to his people? Why would Nehemiah care? Because he cares first and foremost about the glory of God, God's name, God's reputation. And it transcends his life and his comfort and his safety. It transcends everything. And so I want to ask you the question today, what are the things in your life right now that break your heart? What are the things you come in here today and you're burdened with these things? They keep you up at night praying to God. God, help me in this situation. God, please answer this prayer. What are the things in your life? Is it politics? Is it retirement? Your retirement fund? Is it the cat season that's coming up? Oh, there's turmoil. Stoops and Calipari, they're at it. It's going to affect the season. What are the things that worry you, that burden you? And then ask the question, what if your greatest burden in all of those situations became God's glory? And in all of your burden, what is that burden and what would it mean for me to care more about God's glory in this situation? How might I glorify God in this difficult moment? And we're going to define faithfulness throughout this series as a steady devotion to God's glory in the face of difficulty. To be faithful means I will be committed to God's glory no matter what. Him and Him alone first and foremost. And so in your burdens, in your difficulty right now, what would it mean to care most about God's glory, to serve Him and to testify He is faithful no matter what I'm going through, no matter what I am burdened with? How will I make much of Him at this time in my life? I'm at home and I've got kids that I'm trying to raise and they wear me out and I'm spent at the end of every day. And then there's some of you who kids are gone. And you would long to be spent at the end of every day with all the chaos that used to go on in your home. And you're burdened. You're depressed. And some of you wake up every day and it's another day. I'm on, I'm on the backside of this thing. And every day I get closer to death when it's all over. I don't have much time left. Those things burden you and they weigh you down. How will you glorify God right now at whatever stage in life you're in? What would it mean for you to bring glory to God? This difficult time, we look around the world, we see bad news, bad news. What would it mean for you to care first and foremost about God's glory right now in the world? 
What would it mean for you to care more about your personal holiness, because that's all you can control, and to say, I'm going to live for Christ, and I'm going to honor Christ no matter what, so the world around me knows that I love Jesus more than anything else. What would it mean for you to be faithful in your marriage? Because if you're married here today, the glory of God is at stake in you being faithful to your spouse, and that's something you can control. You can't control everything going on out there, but you can be faithful to your spouse and bring God glory and display the gospel. What would it mean for you to pass on a gospel legacy to your kids? What would it mean for you to serve your church faithfully? How could you be faithful to the glory of God right now in your life in the face of difficulty, continuing to witness the gospel as persecution, sensitivity training closes in on you? Are you still going to declare? No. God is the creator of all things and his design is good and it reflects the gospel. How might you be faithful right now? How might you bring glory to God? That is what's going to bring you the most joy in this season in life. Faithful servants will remain faithful when they're committed to the glory of God first and foremost. But also next, faithful servants hope in God's faithfulness first and foremost in light of his glory. Faithful servants hope in God's faithfulness. Verse 5, notice his prayer. We get, he, he, he writes out a prayer journal here. I was praying for four months, and this, this is what I was praying over and over again. Oh, Lord God of heaven. Now, this is a title that communicates transcendence. It means God is Lord over everything, even heaven. All geography, all ethnicity, he rules from the throne of heaven. He is bigger than Persia. He is bigger than Jerusalem. Notice the great and awesome God. Great means big, massive. Awesome means he scares you to death. He's dreadful. That's what awesome means. My new Jordan 4s aren't awesome. They don't, I don't look down and put them on my feet and go, ah! No, God is awesome because he's amazing and he's huge and in his presence you tremble. Great, massive, awesome, fearful. But notice this great, awesome God. Notice what he does for you. He keeps his promises. Isn't it good to have a dreadful, amazing, huge, massive God who's always committed to his promises to you. Notice his steadfast love. This, is, this word means hesed, or it is, it's a translation of hesed, and it's just packed with grace and mercy and love, and it's everything that is within God is committed to your good. No matter what, his hesed, his steadfast love is for you. And notice it is always with those who love him and keep his commandments. And this is the way Moses would summarize Israel's responsibility to the law. The Lord God of heaven has chosen to love you. Therefore, you love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. There is one God. Do not be an idolater. You give your love and devotion to him. And he is committed to his people. And this is the one Nehemiah is praying to, because he's the one who's committed to him. Notice verse 6, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant. Notice the way he talks about God here, eyes and ears, very personal. This great, awesome, mighty God, personal, 
Listen, see God, focus on what's going on with your servant. Focus on my burden that I now pray before you night and day. Notice for the people of Israel, your servants. Now notice how God's glory moves Nehemiah from himself to others. If you're committed to self-glory, you're not going to care about others. Here he cares about the people of Israel because God's glory and their good is at stake. And so he prays night and day for the servants. And notice what he does, confessing the sin of the people of Israel. Notice he says, which we have sinned against you. And then Nehemiah gets into it. He says, even I and my father's house have sinned. See, a lot of times we like to look at the world and we say, it's going to hell in a handbasket. Look at all the craziness going on out there. How could God bless our country? How could God do anything for us? Just look. And we never look in our own heart. What Nehemiah understands is that the people around him and the world around you is just a reflection of your own heart. The wickedness that is there and without God's grace would be displayed for you. And so you look at the world around you and it should be a mirror to the wickedness in your own heart. If I didn't have Jesus, the gospel, the church, and the word of God, that would be me doing those things and thinking that way. Nehemiah gets it. He says, we, we've sinned against you. We are idolaters. We chased, it, chased foreign gods. And you punished us justly. Verse 7, we acted corruptly against you. We sinned against you. And have not kept the commandments. We did not love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our might, with all our soul, with all our being. We didn't, as he continues the statutes, we didn't pass on the statutes and the rules that you commanded your servant servant Moses. You gathered us together and you gave us your law. And you said, I am going to be committed to you, faithful to you, be faithful to me. We didn't uphold our end of the bargain. We were unfaithful. But that's not the end of the story, verse 8. Remember the word you commanded your servant, Moses? It wasn't just the law. There was also a promise. And here's the promise. If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. If you are idolaters, if you want foreign gods, I will send you to the foreign gods. You want to chase after Baal? You don't have to chase after him anymore. Go on. Go to Assyria. Go to Persia. Go to the Babylonians. Go serve their gods if that's what you want. And that's what God did to Israel. Because they were sinful. He scattered them among the nations. But notice the promise, verse 9. If you return to me and keep my commandments. If you repent. And this is what happened after 70 years. They repented. They cried out to God. And he began to deliver them and bring them back home. Notice he says, if you keep my commandments and do them, though your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of heaven. And that is a powerful phrase right there. Uttermost parts of heaven. This is Nehemiah praying. And he said, God, you made a promise that if you scattered us throughout the galaxies, like the stars in heaven, you scattered us that far away from you, you would be faithful when we repent to bring us back and restore us. This is the promise that you made to us, that you would bring them to the place, which is Jerusalem, that he has chosen to make my name dwell. And this is what is at stake, God's glory. Will he be faithful to his name in restoring his people fully and finally, even in the building of a wall? 
Verse 10, they are your servants and your people whom you have redeemed by your great power. In verse 10, basically Nehemiah is saying this, God, you did this. We, we were just unfaithful, sinful people. And before we existed, Abraham was worshiping the moon in Ur. We didn't ask for this relationship. You came to us, you chose us, you made a promise to us, and you said, I will display my faithfulness in you. That's what you said, God. Now will you do what you said you would do? And this is where God's glory is at stake. God's glory is at stake in his faithfulness. Will God be a liar? Or has God told the truth and he will always be faithful to his... That's where his glory is at stake. His glorious Hesed is at stake. His famous name for being faithful is at stake. What's not at stake is Nehemiah's faithfulness. What's not at stake is Israel's faithfulness. They've proven they're unfaithful. It's, it, what's not at stake is can we come up with an ingenious plan to build a wall and carry it out in 52 days in great teamwork? Can we build it? Yes, we can. No, the, what's at stake here is will God do what he said he would do? And in that, his glory is at stake. This book isn't about any of those things. It's about God's faithfulness. And I don't know about you, but that's what I need more than anything. I don't need for God to give me some wisdom, some great method and plan to do great and awesome things. Because I'm weak, and I'm stupid, and I'm sinful, and it never works out with me. I need him to be faithful to do what he said. And that's where our hope is if we're going to be faithful servants. Faithful servants hope in God's faithfulness. Why should you be faithful and serve him? Because he's been faithful to you. He's not a liar. Think about the moments when you've been the most unfaithful. Think about those seasons in life where you've been the most corrupt and the most wicked and you said, I don't give a rip about God or the things of God. And you're sitting here today. He brought you here today. He's still faithful to you, even though you've been unfaithful. How amazing is that? That he would bring you and restore you and forgive you and then still use you. Use you here today to encourage others of his faithfulness. When the company or the boss, they're unfaithful to you, you can trust and serve God because he will always be faithful. When the resources are a mystery and the plan forward is unclear, you can keep plotting and plotting and plotting because God will be faithful. I was thinking this morning as I'm sitting here singing, there was a time when there was a church here called Cross Point and they were about ready to close the doors and there were about 10 or 15 of you that are here today, this morning, still here, still plugging along. Remember those days when you were going to shut the door? You said, who wants this junky old sound equipment? We don't want to set it up anymore. And you just plugged and plugged and plugged and plugged and you served God and you prayed and you prayed and you prayed and you prayed and look around. Down to 30 people at one time. Look around God's faithfulness. You can do that. 
Because that's what your hope is in. It's not in you. It's in that God would be faithful to his promises when no one shows up. When you get burned, when you lose friends, when the diagnosis isn't hopeful, you can keep being faithful to God and declaring his faithfulness because he is faithful. Notice verse 11. Oh Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant. Now what Nehemiah does at this point is he's praying, 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 and then he says, okay, it's time to act. And he's going to go to Artaxerxes and he's going to ask something that is really ridiculous that we're going to talk about next week. But as I go and present my request to this pagan king, God, you be faithful to your name. Notice your servants. That's who I'm serving here. Your servants who delight to fear in your name. God is awesome. We tremble before you. And because we tremble before you, our pleasure and our joy is to obey you. That's where we are before you, God, right now. We want to do whatever you would ask us to do because we fear you. We delight in your name. We delight in your glorious hesed. We want to make it known. So give success to your servant today and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. Nehemiah is going to risk his life here, but he asks for mercy because he knows the proverb, the heart of the king is in the hand of the Lord. And he goes before this pagan king and he says, God, you be faithful to your people. But I want you to notice something here. Nehemiah's prayer moves from God's faithfulness to his faithful service. Is God faithful? Yes. Okay. It's time for me to serve him. And as you pray for God's faithfulness, be ready because God's going to use you as the instrument of faithfulness. As you think about needs, people in your life have needs, and you begin to pray for their needs. God, provide for them. God, provide for them. Sooner or later, he's going to use you as the hand of faithfulness in their life. You pray about ministry around the church. We need this. We need this. I think it would be great to have this. And you begin to pray, God, this would be a faithful ministry and service in the life of our church. Well, guess what? When you come to me and you say, we need this, I'm going to say, get to work. Is it that big of a burden? Okay, let's get after it. Sooner or later, God's going to use you as the instrument of faith. Think about this. Think about the people in your life who you're praying for right now, God, bring them to faith in Christ. God, save them. God, I pray that they would hear the gospel, they would repent, and they would follow Jesus. God, be faithful to this prayer. And he says, that's why you exist. Go tell them. So often that's the way it's going to happen in our life. But notice This faithful servant in context is serving in the context of God's faithfulness, what God has promised to do. Nehemiah has latched his life to God's promises for his people, and he says, that's where I'm going to serve. And so much misery in your life and my life is that we are trying to accomplish things for ourselves that God has never promised to be faithful to. He's never said, I'm going to bless that. He's never said, I'm going to show my faithfulness in that way. The way we normally function in life, and I need you to hear this today, because so many of us are lacking joy because we live this way, and we are frustrated because we do this. God, here are my plans. Be faithful. Who do I want to be? What do I want to do? Where do I want to go? Here it is, God. Be faithful. And that's why we spend lifetimes in discontentment. 
Because we never began the question, God, what are you doing in the world? What have you promised to be faithful to in the world? And we live dissatisfied, discontent lives because our plans don't begin and end with God's faithfulness. God has been very clear about the things he will be faithful to. And what if we just gave ourselves over to those things? No, we should begin by, God, you have plans. You've been very clear about your plans in the world. How can I be faithful to those things, to your plans? How can I faithfully serve them? Is my life folded into the plans of God for human history? Now this, you've got to ask yourself that question. Every one of us, it's different. We have different contexts, different jobs. Our families are different. Our makeups, our gifts, our abilities, our preferences, they're all different. We have different tasks of faithfulness. But I want you to begin by asking, what has God promised to be faithful to, because that's what I want to latch my life to, because that's unstoppable. God's going to do what he said. And what is it? Well, the story of Nehemiah fits in this story of God's faithfulness to his people. God has promised from Genesis to Revelation to gather up a people for himself, that he would save from sin, that they would follow him and they would serve him and they would faithfully Worship him forever. It's called his church. People from every tribe, every tongue, every nation, every... That's the plan. This isn't an Ashland gimmick. You come here and you say, well, that's just their brand. They're really into missions. You are sent. You are sent. Passport to the nations. You get a passport at that church. And you think, well, that's just their thing. They're trying to find their... No, this is, this is the story from Genesis to Revelation. And we believe that we're only going to be faithful as a church if we're plugged into that story. And you will only be happy when you plug yourself into that story. Your job, it doesn't mean everybody's a missionary. Your job, your family, your kids, your recreation, your vacations, they all got to be plugged into that. How am I part of that? God, this is your plan. How can I be faithful to it? He's been very clear. He's going to give you his very presence and power. And you witness Jesus is Lord. God has promised he will be faithful to you when you stand up and say Jesus is Lord. And you live your life as Jesus is Lord. He will be faithful to his promise in gathering a people in Richmond to the ends of the earth. You've just got to ask, how can I be a part of that? How can I get plugged into that? With all your desires, gifts, abilities, resources, leveraging them into what God has promised to do. This is what God has promised to do. He hasn't promised you that you can be anything you ever wanted to be in life and have whatever you want. He hasn't. Take that off the table. That is not biblical. But what he has promised to do is give the lamb the reward for his blood shed at Calvary, which is a church for himself forever and ever. How will you take everything you have, every second, and plug it into that? How will you be a faithful servant serving his faithfulness? Well, I have a spoiler alert. Some of you are like, yeah, he's been on vacation. He's fired up today. I'm almost done. Three minutes, maybe. Spoiler alert, the end of the book. Why are you talking about the end of the book now? Well, it ends this way. Nehemiah, God, please remember me. 
please remember me. And we get to the end of the book and we say, has God been faithful? Was God really faithful in building a wall? God, remember me. God, be good to me. And the question of the book at the end is faithful question mark. And that's where we're going to live. Faithful question mark. Has God been faithful? Will I be faithful? Next week, Nehemiah is going to show up and he's going to look at a dilapidated wall. His heart's going to break. He's going to see opposition. He's going to be frustrated. And the question is, Nehemiah, will you be faithful to what you promised to do? And you look at it, not a dilapidated wall, but a dilapidated world. You're going to leave here today and you're going to go out and you're going to hear about inflation and transgender revolution. Everybody's going to go out and we're going to live in this miserable, discontent, depressed, digitally dumb world. And we're going to say, has God really been faithful? Could I just not stay at church with the people of God and taste and feel and declare God's faithfulness? You're going to go out and you say, where's God's faithful? You're going to have struggles this week and you're going to say, is God faithful? God, I've been praying for this for years. Well, the story's not over with Nehemiah. And we have way more reason to be faithful than Nehemiah had. Nehemiah, the book of Nehemiah is one story, one page in God's journal of faithfulness to us. 400 years later, after 400 plus years of silence, Nehemiah's burden, the glory of God took on flesh. And we've seen the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And outside of Nehemiah's remodeled walls, Hesed was nailed to a cross. For your sin. Has he been faithful? Has he been faithful? You've been unfaithful. God has been faithful to you in Jesus Christ. On the cross, Jesus cries out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? What is he saying there? My Father, why are you being unfaithful to me? And the answer is so he would never be unfaithful to you who believe in him. He's been faithful in Jesus. The question for you in this moment is will you be faithful to him?